Here's what's coming up on today's show. So, you know, unless you're the spouse that passed had some very expensive hobby, chances are you still need about 80% of the income that you mm-hmm. had before, but in most instances, it's been cut in half. There are many factors that contribute to success, skill, good work habits, positive mental attitude, and of course, proper planning. So let's head to the drafting table and get this retirement success blueprint underway with Michael Stewart of Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. I'm your co-host, Mark Killian. Let's get started. Welcome into another edition of the podcast. It's the retirement success blueprint with Michael Stewart from Crystal Lake Tax and Financial here with me to talk about navigating finances after losing a spouse, strategies and mistakes to avoid. Not necessarily the, the most fun of topics, but certainly one that's important in the planning process conversation in the universe of what you do for a living, Mike, because it's just, it's par for the course. None of us are getting out of this. uh, We're all checking out of the hotel at some point, right? And so we have to talk about these things. uh, And hopefully if we can do this ahead of time, we can really save a lot of uh, heartache and more complication and and just things that could go awry uh, when the inevitable happens because we're going to be under that emotional duress. So that's the topic this week. So we're going to dive in and get started. What's going on, my friend? How are you? Uh, Things are going well. Yeah, it's fall, right? They're pretty close to fall. We got football season gearing up. You got baseball playoffs about to start. So it's so it's it's a good time to 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 be alive. This is true, and uh, and an interesting segue for me to deal with <laughs> into, <laughs> into our topic. But you know what? I mean, we again we got to talk about it, right? And what you do for a living is obviously you know we try to have fun on the podcast and share some good insightful information. But at the same time, what you do for a living is very very serious stuff, right? I mean, you're dealing with people's forever money, um, you know, their retirement money, and inevitably the nature of what you do is that you're going to have clients that pass away. You're going to lose people, right? And so you're working with you know through the remaining party, helping them through that transition. And it certainly can be tough to deal with. So I want to kind of focus really on just some strategies and mistakes to hopefully avoid and get some strategies in place ahead of time, right? Because again, all of us are checking out of this hotel eventually, right? So let's have a conversation around that. Um, clearly, you've worked with in, in your business, you've, you've probably lost some some clients along the way, and they want to make sure they're in good shape. What are the couple of bullet point items that most people get uh, hit by or blindsided by when they lose their loved one? Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a good kind of segue. And there is, you know, have, haven't been a financial planner for over twenty years. You know, the great thing is we get to see people go to and through retirement, help them along the way, right. you know, see multiple generations. But then the downside of it is, you know, you also attend a lot of wakes and funerals. You know, of, of those you've come really close to. But sure. you know, this is one of the when, in our planning. This is one of the probably most important things that we discuss. That really the clients aren't even asking for. But I've just seen it play out over the last couple decades that, you know, when you lose a spouse, of course, there's the emotional aspect of it, but there's a huge financial aspect that comes with that nobody really thinks about. And part of that is, you know, you've got really two main drivers that happen out there. So one is what happens to your income, right? Mm -hmm. Because the surviving spouse still has to pay their bills at the end of the day. And the second thing is even, you know, since we have a tax practice in-house is what happens to the tax side of it? Now we call that a widow's penalty. Uh, so you know, imagine a married couple making say eighty thousand dollars a year in retirement. They're happy. They're in the twelve percent tax bracket, right? Maybe they got about a thirty thousand dollars pension, fifty thousand bucks from Social Security. Life is good for them, right? And now all of a sudden the husband passes away because we tend to go first, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, pension typically gets cut in half. So what was thirty thousand is now fifteen thousand. And then now what happens with Social Security is the lower of the two spouses, Social Security benefit goes away. So only the higher of the two stays. So the survivor only keeps the higher of the two. Well, now what's just happened is not only have they lost their spouse, 
But the surviving spouse now, the income went from about 80000 to 45000 in this example. So nearly half the income. But guess what happens? They were in the 12% tax bracket because you had the double the standard deduction. You had you know higher income brackets because it was for two people. Right. Now, after the first year, they're going to have to file single. And then that same level of income at 80000 as a married couple, they were in the 12% tax bracket. At 45000 as a single, they're in the 22% tax bracket. Yeah, so not only did they lose their spouse, but nearly half the income and nearly double the taxes. Yeah, you know, that's what we call a widow's penalty. Not, uh, yeah, not not a good trifecta there, right? So certainly something that we want, don't want to have to deal with. And usually, like the income gap, Mike, I think obviously most of us realize this is going to happen in, in a lot of ways, right? We're going to lose our loved one. We're going to lose, you know, possibly part of the income streams or whatever that's coming in. But often the tax one is the one that really gets people because, you know, if you're blessed enough to have been married 30, 40 years, you just, you're in a rhythm, right? You just file the same way you filed every year. And all of a sudden, boom, you're in this single filer and it completely catches you off guard to the point that you just made. So let's focus a little bit on the the income gap. Let's solve it for that uh, ahead of time, right? In advance, certainly that's what you want to try to do is with some good prep. Yeah, no, ag- agreed. And typically, you know, and, and everybody's situation is going to be a little unique, but typically we'll do it one of three different ways. So one of those might be, you know, leveraging life insurance. Let's say we're, we realize there's going to be a big gap in income, or maybe we went into retirement or approaching retirement with, you know, some debts, be it auto loans, mortgage, those kind of things. So a lot of times we'll leverage life insurance just to bridge to create income. So pay off fixed expenses like a mortgage, you know, so maybe if you had a million dollar life insurance policy, that could generate about $50,000 a year in supplemental income just from interest and dividends without mm-hmm. ever touching the actual million dollars. So that million would still not only generate an additional $50,000 of replacement income, but it would also be available later for long-term care needs, or even if you want to leave it as a legacy to the kids, the grandkids, the church. So we you know we like to think life, life insurance, nobody likes life insurance, right? Until you need it. So life insurance <laughs> right. is just leveraging dimes for dollars. Well, nobody likes car insurance until you need it, right? Or, or home insurance. It's the same kind of thing, right? Oh, a- absolutely. Because, you know, nobody wants to use insurance. I mean, something bad happened, you know, right. but when you, but if you have it and you need it, you know, that's a, that's a good thing. The second thing we look at is think about those fortunate enough to have, a, you know, a fully funded pension. There's spousal continuation or what they call survivor benefits. And what that means is, you know, let's say the, the spouse that has the pension could get a little bit higher income life only, but that pension would end when they do. So instead, because of all the things we're talking about, how income changes, taxes increase, all of that when a spouse passes. We typically are going to recommend that if you're going to have a pension, that basically you want a 75 to 100 percent survivor benefit because of those things that we discussed. So because one of the Social Security is going down, taxes will wind up going up. The spouse might have gone away, but most of the expenses haven't. So whether it's higher Social Security for later or even just, you know, maintaining a good chunk of that pension for the survivor, we want to make sure that that's there. And the third thing on the income gap is, you know, we'll sit down with clients when we're putting together the retirement success blueprint and we'll say, okay, when we're doing your income plan. So plan A is you're both here. Everything's fine. You know, you get all the income you need, live the retirement lifestyle that you want. Everything's great. Plan B is one of you don't wake up tomorrow. Does the income still work for the surviving spouse? Because if it doesn't, then we got to roll up our sleeves and go back to the drawing board because this only works if it works for both of you for the rest of both of your lives. Yeah. No. And, you know, as you were going through some of that stuff, a couple of things kind of stuck out with me. You know, we think about services or, or products or things of that nature uh, just in our daily life. Right. And so when we, we lose our loved one, the mindset a lot of times for many people, I think, is it's been that, well, 
I guess I'm losing part of my income, but I'm also not spending as much because now there's just me, right? I'm alone. But to that point, it really is as low as people think it's going to be. You know, it's not like the the cable company or you know the utility company is giving you you know half off because there's only one of you in the house, right? So the expenses tend to not drop as much as I think people think they will. food, yes, but a lot of other aspects they really don't. Yeah, no, exactly. The, what, what winds up happening is, you know, property taxes are pretty much still the same. Mm-hmm. Your utility bills, as you mentioned, are pretty much the same. So, you know, unless you're the spouse that passed had some very expensive hobby, chances are you still need about 80% of the income that you mm-hmm. had before. But in most instances, it's been cut in half. Right, exactly. Yeah, back thinking back to those numbers you gave earlier, it's pretty stark, right, from that from that uh, 80 to maybe that 45. So, uh, okay, so let's, let's kind of go through and say, assume that we've now – taking some of the options that you talked about. And there's other things that people look at doing for solving the income income gap. I mean, there's also like the social security strategy, right? If you're working, maybe one thing that advisors talk to you about is is maybe the higher of the two uh, is letting their social security grow to 70, right? Because it's that higher number and the other person's turning their own lower. You know, different kinds of things, right? Different kinds of ways you can look for solving the income gap. But for the sake of the conversation today, let's assume we've now taken some of the strategies you've suggested, Mike, we've solved for the income gap. Now we need to look at the the next step, right? So what do we want to do once the remaining spouse is taken care of or other family members, kids, grandkids, or even when our remaining spouse passes away? Yeah, so some of the common mistakes that you see out there is, you know, not having conversations beyond just the income side uh, and really start talking about even from a tax perspective. You know, I mentioned earlier because we have a tax practice and a state planning practice in addition to the financial planning that, you know, we have kind of this holistic approach. So when we have that tax planning discussion for clients, I'll ask, you know, do they care that the kids might be left a big tax burden, you know, on their inheritance? And now, so if most of the money is a pre-tax IRAs, 401ks, now I just outright ask the clients and say, you know, is that a concern for you? If we've got a million, two million dollars in IRAs and 401ks, and that's all going to be taxable within a 10-year period to uh, our you know, kids and grandkids. Are we okay with that? Or do we want to be a little more proactive over the next few years to make sure that a lot of that can either be inherited completely tax-free or at least minimize the potential taxes? And some of the responses that we get, some, some say, yeah, that's a big concern of mine. I don't want to leave a tax burden you know, to the beneficiaries. And others say, no, they should just be happy to get something. You know, My kids are doing better than we are. So there's no right or wrong. It's going to be different for everybody. But you definitely want to have that tax planning discussion. So, you know, do Roth conversions make sense for a tax-free legacy? Mm -hmm. If we know there's going to be a big tax bill, is there a way that we could pick up some life insurance on the side that'll cover most of those taxes? So it's just about having, uh, you know, a proactive approach to not just the income replacement side of it, but when it comes to the beneficiaries, making sure that, you know, we're not leaving a tax time bomb out there. Yeah. And and there's a lot of those things that are easy fixes, right, Mike? I mean, many times we you know, just the inaccuracy of documents and things of that nature. And this is a quick fix that don't really cost you anything. So you can get all that stuff taken care of in advance, and it just makes life easier for your loved one that's left behind. No, agreed. The two biggest issues we see, especially when it comes to like beneficiary designations or state planning documents and things is one, you know, somebody might get a trust, uh, but then they don't fund it, you know, so they don't put the home in the trust or they don't make. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. I was going to say, what about trust and stuff? And, And I heard that that's kind of a big thing is people will buy them. It's kind of almost like annuities lately where I've been hearing the last few years, people kind of oversell trusts, but they don't 
properly really understand them. And I've been seeing a lot more of that where people have them, but then they don't fund them. So they're basically kind of worthless, correct? Yeah, because all a trust is, you know, it's, a, it's an entity. It's a legal legal document. So, you know, in most instances, and I'll, and I'll give you an instance when you don't, but mm-hmm. in most instances, you want to retitle most of your non-retirement assets, like your house, your bank accounts, any non-retirement accounts and things in the name of the trust. So it avoids probate and it's just very easy to settle it. And if you happen to want control over those assets, like you don't want everything paid out immediately to the beneficiaries, mm-hmm. a trust will allow you to pay out things over time. Now, the one big issue, you know, so do you need a trust or not? You know, that's a different estate planning conversation. It's going to be a little bit different for everybody, but, you know, we have that since we do that in, in-house here. But the, the I'd say the biggest mistake I see on that, specific to a trust, is that I mentioned that the trust is an entity. So the downside of it being an entity is an entity technically can't inherit like retirement money and things. So you can name your trust as a beneficiary of your retirement accounts, but you might be doing a disservice to your beneficiaries if you actually want them to have control over how they pay the taxes on that. Because what happens is if you name the trust as the beneficiary, Mm -hmm. the trust document is gonna tell how they get to get their payouts. Whereas if you name the individuals as beneficiaries that you want to receive it, then they each would get to decide, do I want to take it lump sum? Do I want to take a little bit here and pay taxes later? Do I want to pay all the taxes now? You don't get that same flexibility when you name the trust as a beneficiary and retirement account. So, you know, it's a little convoluted in the sense that sometimes the trust is a great thing for you. And other times it just depends on what your end goal is as far as the distribution of those assets, you know, when you're no longer with us. Yeah. I mean, we're all going to have the same kinds of things affect us, right? We talk about this often on the show, kind of a recurring theme is that there's these things that are going to affect all of us as humans. But at the same time, it's the puzzle piece of each individual's retirement strategy that changes from person to person, even though we're all going to deal with Social Security and we're all going to pass away. We're all going to, you know, maybe need long-term care or some sort of health care, right? So all those things affect all of us. We're all going to need income, right? But how the puzzle actually gets put together from person to person really does change. So it's important to have those conversations for yourself and take care of some of this stuff ahead of time so that you're not leaving uh, a spouse behind with even more to deal with than just the emotional thing. I'll share this story, Mike, and then we'll transition to our email question this week. But it's always stuck with me that the house that we live in, my wife and I, when we purchased it from the lady here, uh, her husband had passed away and took her three years to get everything together, both financially and at the homestead, to be able to sell the property and move on. And when we were chatting, we, we actually, she was actually very nice. We actually, you don't often see the person you're buying the house from, but we spent a little bit of time with her. And she asked me what I did for a living and I was telling her and she was like, you know, I would have give, I'd give anything if we would have taken the time to have had a strategy and a plan in place because we had nothing. And that three years she spent doing all this stuff and uh, dealing with finance issues and so on and so forth. And she said she never got to mourn her husband. She never really got to grieve because she had to immediately go into reaction mode and deal with all the stuff. And it always stuck with me, you know, so that's, a, that's another nice feature about taking care of these things ahead of time is you allow your loved one to properly grieve when you're on. Oh, I, I agree. And I think what it does is it also gives you clarity mm-hmm. on in the event that something were to happen to one of the two of us, assuming that you're married, that you know you understand how this is going to play out. You know you're going to be okay because you've already understand the taxes, the income, you got the right documents in place. And you also understand from a legacy perspective, if that's important for you, that everything, you know, the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed. So you know, invest a little bit of time in the upfront so you don't have to invest a lot of time later. There you go. All right. Well, let's transition into our email question this week and we'll wrap it up. But again, if you've got questions or need some help, especially around dealing with 
getting things set up for that time of life when we're all going to be moving on, reach out to Mike and his team, have a conversation with them, visit them online at crystallaketax.com. That's crystallaketax.com. And you can subscribe to the podcast there as well on Apple, Google, Spotify, uh, whatever one you want to use there. And you can also drop a line to the show uh, or to the team and, of course, for the show as well. And we've got Carlos uh, in, where is he? He's in Huntley. Yeah, he's in Huntley. And he says, Mike, I've talked to a few financial advisors about how they get paid, and it sounds like they all have completely different models. Uh, one guy even made it sounds like he doesn't charge a fee at all, so I'm not sure how that business model actually works. But anyway, he says, are there this many different fee structures, and does everyone just explain it differently? I'm confused. Yeah, Carlos, you're not alone. And you know, I think that's by intention, depending on the insurance industry, Wall Street, all those different things is, you know, they kind of like when you're confused, because then, you know, you, you make decisions that maybe you don't have all the information for, which is great for them, but right. may not be great for you, right? Just give me so that. I've right. all, yeah. Yeah, no, agreed. Yeah. The, the the way that I look at it, and you know, think about like, when you download an app on your phone, you're like, hey, this game's free, right? Or yeah. I'm going to get this and it's free. So anytime something is free, you are the product. You know, that's the way that it works. So for, for that advisor, it says, oh, I don't charge anything at all. It means they're getting something on the back end, and it's probably not in your best interest if, if that's the case. You know, not all the time, but a lot of times. So, yeah, Carlos, the, the two things that you really want to look at are, one, there's kind of what you call advice standards. So there's two of those. And then the second thing is just the three different type of compensation models. And I won't go too deep on these, but just give you enough to uh, kind of bring you aboard on the train here. So the two standards for investment advice are suitability standard and the fiduciary standard. The suitability standard is it doesn't have to be the best option for you. They just have to be able to justify that once you put pen to paper and you sign your name to it, it was suitable for you. So what does that mean? That means that let's say an advisor could sell you something that he gets paid 3% on and it's really low fees and it's really good investment for you. Or there's another one that pays him 7% and maybe the fees are twice as high. But it's still suitable, right? From a risk standpoint, I guess it still could do the job. It's just not the best thing for the job. You know, it's kind of the, the wrench instead of the pliers when, you know, one may have worked better, but they'll both work for you. So that's the suitability standard, which means that they don't have a legal obligation to do anything, but just make sure it's suitable for you. Um, so that's usually on the commissionable side. Then there's what's called the fiduciary standard in which we operate and live in. Fiduciary standard is a legal standard that says that we have to act in your best interest, disclose any conflicts of interest, disclose all the methods in which we get paid, you know, and then protect your privacy at the same time. Fiduciary standard is a legal obligation to the client to act in their best interest, that you vetted all the options and in your opinion, you know, in your educated opinion, in your experience, you feel that this is the best solution for them given their circumstances. So unfortunately, in the industry, nobody tells you what hat they're wearing. Are they going under the suitability standard or the fiduciary standard? So always look for a fiduciary just because it's somebody who's got your best interest in mind. Now, from a compensation standpoint, there's really only three ways people get paid in this industry as an investment professional. One, they're commissioned, you know, so on the commission side, that's usually the suitability standard, you know, so they get paid to sell you something. And then the other two are comparable. One's fee-based, which means they might charge you an advisory fee. They might charge you a planning fee or something on that side, uh, but it's usually tied to the assets under management. And the third one is what's called fee only. And that says that they don't receive any other kind of compensation other than the advisory fee or the planning fee that you're paying. You know, so try to skew to the fee only fee based side if possible, because at least, you know, you're working with a fiduciary in that process. So, Carlos, I know it's a whole lot of 
information there, but really just work with somebody who's got your best interest at heart and is legally obligated to as a fiduciary. There you go. Yeah, you'd think that would be just kind of the standard on any business, right? No matter what it is, but certainly important to look into. So Carlos, thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks for submitting a question in as well. And of course, if you've got questions again or concerns, folks need some help, reach out to Mike and his team at crystallaketax.com. That's crystallaketax.com. And again, you can find the podcast on Apple, Google, or Spotify. Type in Retirement Success Blueprint into the search box of those apps or just stop by his website, crystallaketax.com. Mike, I'm going to let you go this week. Thanks for hanging out with me. It's uh, time to kick off the football season. So I guess you and I will see how our two teams in the same division play out this year. All right. Take care of yourself, Mark. We'll catch you a little bit later on. And uh, go on. And we'll, <laughs> we'll see you next time here on the Retirement Success Blueprint with Michael Stewart. Investment advisory services offered through Sound Income Strategies, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial and Sound Income Strategies, LLC are not associated entities. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial is a franchise of the Retirement Income Source. The Retirement Income Source and Sound Income Strategies, LLC are associated entities.